forever to the King of Kings. The King of Kings. The Lord of Lords. The one who sits high and looks low. Praise forever. Forever to the King of Kings. Thank you, Paula. Thank you, worship team, for setting that atmosphere today. For setting the atmosphere today. Well, Bob, I think you prophesied to me. The tablet, the, the tablet isn't working. Man. Well, I was telling Bob this morning that that one of my favorite uh, preachers was Charles Haddon Spurgeon. And I was just telling him this morning that uh, one time Charles Haddon Spurgeon had prepared his message and he got up to preach. And there was an open Bible that always sat on the podium. And as he got up to the podium, he saw a different verse than the one he was going to preach. And he was so arrested by it that he cast out his notes and started preaching that. Well, we're not exactly there today, but my notes are cast. So we're going to go with it. Amen. Praise the Lord. Let's go before the Lord in prayer. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you today that you are good and your mercy endures forever. We thank you that you are the God who is the King of Kings. We praise you today, God. We praise you today, God. We celebrate you because you are good and your mercy endures forever. Forever, 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 forever. That's longer than we can even imagine, God, but your mercy is there. Your mercy goes beyond our imagination. Your goodness goes beyond our imagination. And because of that, we can praise you. And so we lift our hearts to you today. We pray that you would speak to us through your word. We pray that you would touch our hearts. You would help us to live for you in a world that lives against you. And so, Father, I decrease now that you might increase. Holy Spirit of the living God, I thank you for the gifts that are on my life. Manifest yourself in me today as you choose. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Let's, let's look to Daniel chapter 5. You can take your seats. Daniel chapter 5. Daniel chapter 5. And a matter of fact, Bob, if you could hand me my phone right inside that pouch, because I'm using a different version, translation, than what is actually in this Bible here today. And so we're going full technology all the way. How many of y'all know that? Full technology all the way, all the way, all the way. Amen. So turn with me to Daniel chapter 5. Uh, get Daniel chapter 5, verses number 1 through 6. Verse number 1 through 6. Uh, and in addition to verses 1 through 6, I also want you to grab verse number 25. Uh, we'll be reading from that today in your reading. So Daniel chapter 5, Daniel chapter 5, verses number 1 through 6. Oh, Amen. Praise the Lord. Thank Look at that. Amen. I was trying to find it on my phone. 
Verse number five says this, starting with verse number one, I'm sorry. Many years later, King Belshazzar gave a great feast for a thousand of his nobles, and he drank wine with them. While Belshazzar was drinking the wine, he gave orders to bring in the gold and silver cups that his predecessor, Nebuchadnezzar, had taken from the temple in Jerusalem. He wanted to drink from them with his nobles, his wives, and his concubines, so they brought these gold cups taken from the temple, the house of God in Jerusalem, and the king and his nobles, his wives and his concubines drank from them. While they drank from them, they praised their idols made of gold, silver, bronze, iron, wood, and stone, and suddenly, somebody say suddenly, they saw the fingers of a human hand writing on the plaster wall of the king's palace near the lampstand. And the king himself saw the hand as it wrote, and his face turned pale with fright, his knees knocked together in fear, and his legs gave way beneath him. Verse number 25, this is the message that was written, Mene, Mene, Tekel, and Parson. For the time that's mine, uh, I want to preach to you today uh, from the topic, one cup too many. One cup too many. You know, many of you know that I served in the United States Marine Corps, but what you do not know uh, in addition to serving in the United States Marine Corps for about a year while I served in the Marines, I also doubled as a nightclub manager and a bartender. Uh, as a bartender, you, you, you get the, the amazing opportunity to see uh, in full view the words, the writing is on the wall. Writing's on the wall. Uh, most people don't realize, this is something that bartenders learn for safety purposes, is that after three drinks of any alcoholic substance, you are likely over the legal limit to drive. And it's always interesting when you see someone walk to the bar who weighs about 100%, 100 pounds soaking wet and asks for two shots and a beer. It, it, it becomes even more interesting when they come up to the bar and order their second round. Uh, it, it's interesting when you think about this that one shot of alcohol, which is at about 40% alcohol, is equivalent at, at one ounce, or two ounces, I should say, is equivalent to 12 ounces of a 4% alcohol beer. So, which makes sense that the, 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 the phrase that buzz driving is drunk driving because all it means when you buzz is that you're slightly drunk. Uh, today, uh, in our text, uh, we see someone who has had one cup too many. One cup too many. Uh, the thing that blows my mind, though, as a bartender that I always found, it, it wasn't so much that individuals would have too many glasses of wine that they would drink and things of that nature. The thing that always blew my mind is as a bartender, when you cut them off and you wouldn't serve them another drink, you inevitably would hear the phrase, just give me one more, I can handle my liquor. I can handle my liquor. Well, Belshazzar thought that he could handle his liquor, and as a result, he had one cup too many, and he starts to see a vision of some hands writing something on the wall. Some of you have been there before. Amen, amen. Some of us have been there before. Uh, so, so this is one of the things I, I want to talk to you today, though, is that 
the interesting thing is that Belshazzar, it wasn't, in my opinion here, the wine that caused Belshazzar to have one cup too many. See, Belshazzar had had a drink of a substance that alcohol by volume content at just a half a ounce is far more potent than any alcohol you could consume. Uh, Belshazzar had drank from the cup of pride. Now, before I jump into this message, I'm, I'm listen, I'm going to throw a disclaimer out here right now. It is normal to listen to a message as we talk about pride and think about somebody else that needs to hear it. You, you might have drinking from the cup of pride. If you're thinking now, ooh, I know somebody that need to hear this message, slow down, pump your brakes. I just need you to tune in for just about 30 minutes, and I need you to get your heart recesses filled up. And then after your recesses of your heart are filled up, if it spills over, then feel free to share it with somebody else. A definition for pride, pride is undue confidence in and attention to one's own skills, accomplishments, state possessions, or position. This is according to the Holman Christian uh, Dictionary. Uh, undue confidence in and attention to one's own fill in the blank. It's an ordinate self-esteem. It's an ordinate self achievement. It's an ordinate uh, self-focus, self-attention. And, and many scholars believe that pride is the gateway to all sin. Every sin that you can imagine has in some way, shape, and form started at the place of pride. It started there. And so again, don't hear this word today thinking about somebody else. Listen, God has dealt with my heart. He'd been dealing with my heart all week. I didn't even want to preach this message. I didn't even want to preach this message, but this is the text that I've been given, and so here I stand ready to share with you. Uh, Paul, Charles Haddon Spurgeon, one of my, I talked about one of my preaching uh, heroes, he said this about pride. He said, pride is so natural to fallen humanity that it spurs up in the heart like weeds in a well-watered garden. At every touch is evil. You may hunt down this fox and think you have destroyed it, but lo, there it is. Your very exaltation is pride. None have more than those they dream they have none. Pride is a sin with a thousand lives, and it seems impossible to kill. That's pride. That's pride. And in the moment you drink of this cup, I ensure you, you have had one cup too many. One cup too many. Well, that, that's the potency of pride, but I want to talk to you today really about the potentate's pride. We're talking about the king's pride, the pride of the young potentate who was ruling Babylon at this time. The interesting thing about his pride is his pride doesn't actually start with him. Uh, verse number one of our text says, and I'm reading again from the New Living Translation, it says, many years later, King Belshazzar gave a great feast for a thousand of his nobles and he drank wine with them. I, I, I like the New Living Translation. Um, because it adds a conjunctive phrase or conjunctive adverb to let you know that there is something else happening before this incident that you need to pay attention to. Uh, and, and, and if your text doesn't say that, maybe you're reading from the NIV, it's okay. The NIV is at 11th grade reading level. I'm reading from middle school grade reading level. Sometimes we need to break it down a little lower. 
He says, many years later. Well, what are you talking about many years later? Many years later, many years later, so before the later, another potentate whose pride had shown up was Rehoboam. He was the son of Solomon. And the only reason that the children of Israel are in Babylon right now is because of Israel's pride and arrogance. Rehoboam's pride caused the kingdom of God to split into two kingdoms, the northern kingdom or the northern tribes and the southern tribes. The northern tribes got carried off into exile with Assyria, but our southern tribes that bring us Daniel, Shadrach, and Meshach, uh, and Abednego, they got pulled away by Babylon. And so we're here in Babylon, and King Belshazzar is actually a co-regent with his father whose name is Nabonidus. Nabonidus is out right now trying to build up the religious system of Babylon and exchanging trade routes all over the world while King Nebuchadnezzar, the co-regent, is home having a party. But it would be bad enough if he just was home having a party, but you need to get this picture. While he was having the party, outside of his walls were the Medes who were rushing to take over the kingdom. So instead of strengthening his resolve, instead of shoring up his forces, he's in the house having a banquet and a drunken party with his friends, his wives, plural, and his side chicks. That's what he's doing. That's what he's doing. And, and if pride isn't present in this king, then, then I, don't, I don't know what it is. I don't know what it is. Um, it's, it's not like this king didn't know all of this information that, that, that there was an issue with showing pride. Um, there, there's a predecessor's warning of Nebuchadnezzar who had shown pride in the chapters previously. Nebuchadnezzar, who brought them away into Babylonian exile, also had a pride problem. And, and his pride was so bad in chapter 4 that God told Nebuchadnezzar that, listen, if you don't humble yourself before me, I'm going to have you walking around looking like a dog, an animal, eating grass like a cow. You're going to lose your entire sanity. And what did Nebuchadnezzar do? He, he, he continued in his pride, and God answered just as he said he would. But see, this is what happened. Right before it was too late, Nebuchadnezzar shifted, and he honored the God who knows all. And this is what he said in verse number 4. Uh, chapter, verse number, I believe it's 31. It says, now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and glorify the king of heaven. Why? Because everything he does is right and all his ways are just. And those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. Mm. He's able to humble. Daniel says in chapter 5, verse 22, that Belshazzar, you knew all of this and yet you still didn't humble yourself before the Lord. Listen, pride goes before destruction, and a haughty spirit comes just before fall. Pride always goes before our destruction, and a haughty spirit will come just before a fall. Why? Because, see, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. How many of you want grace? I got anybody want grace in here? Amen. That's a good place to clap your hands and thank God. I want grace. I want grace. I want grace. I want grace. And so we need to work on our pride. So I just want to talk to you today really quickly uh, about Belshazzar's pride. So the, we might see some patterns. 
we might see some patterns of pride here in the text that help us see what the ultimate progression is of pride in the end so that way we can avoid it. Is that okay? Number one, uh, one pattern of pride is when you've had one cup too many, you might treat common what God has set apart. You might treat common what God has set apart. Verse number three, it says, so they brought these gold cups taken from the temple, the house of God in Jerusalem, and the king and his nobles, his wives and his concubines drank from them. Um, if this was a movie, this would be like one of those uh, Indiana Jones type movies, you know what I'm talking about, where there's this major, this, this ceremonial gold cup that's in the temple and, and then nobody's supposed to touch it. And then somebody comes and they drink from it. As soon as they get ready to put it to your lips, you're like, uh-uh, no, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it. Don't do it. But this is what he does. He, he takes the gold cups that were meant for God's temple and he drinks from them. Cups are synonymous in the scriptures with fate and destiny. David said in Psalms 23 uh, that surely my cup runs over that God will prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies, but my cup is going to run over. That, that, that the fate of my life will be that God provides abundance in a place with those who want to destroy me. It's, it's synonymous but with my fate and my destiny. Cup is also synonymous with suffering and submission. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus says that, Lord, if you're willing, let this cup, he's talking about his suffering, pass from me, but watch, nevertheless, not my will, God. I don't want to be lifted up in pride. Not my will, but yours be done. Judah is suffering in exile right now in hopes that they might learn submission, that they might learn to trust and give their lives over to the God who loves them. But here we are with Belshazzar. Belshazzar has taken the cups. He's taken the cups. The cups, the ceremonial cups, meant specifically for the temple, and he's used them for common purposes. Sometimes, you know, we use things for common purposes, but I need you to know is that you are not meant for common purposes. That you yourself are set apart for a specific purpose. Did you know that? Did you know that you were important? Did you know that humanity was important? that the people who you live next to, that you live around are important and God designed them for a specific purpose. When we treat our neighbor, when we treat those around us as common, we profane the gospel and the scriptures and declare that what God has made has no value. Mm. Maybe you need to think about how you talk about your neighbor. Maybe you need to think about how you talk about your coworker. Maybe you think about the thoughts that are running through your head when somebody does something that you don't agree with. You might be drinking from the cup of pride. You might be. You might be. The second thing that I see here in the text is a pattern of pride is that you may give to the dead what only belongs to the living. You might give to the dead what only belongs to the living. There are some things, beloved, that are only meant for certain people. Some things that are only meant for certain people. My, my love uh, is, is only meant for my wife. There are certain things at work that are only meant for my employer. There's certain information that I just can't share with everybody, right? There's certain things that are only meant for certain people. 
And, and, and one of the things that I've learned over my life that I've learned a very long time ago, it was wisdom when it came to me. Uh, one of my mentors told me in both ministry and marriage that you only need to share your problems with people who can provide a solution. Only share your problems with people who can provide a solution, right? Um, b- b- because number one, people talk too much. People run their mouth. They get out, they get your business, and they start telling all your business all over the world. So you need to only share your problems with people who can provide a solution. Uh, Why? Because it's important to understand that people who have never seen your situation, don't understand your situation, can't likely provide input to help you get out of your situation. So you only share your problems with people who can, who can actually help you. That's, what, that's one of the things that, that I learned uh, as a young man. And I'm speaking really now to the 20s and 30s um, that, 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 that maybe it's a good idea to find someone older and wiser who can help you navigate the challenges and the problems that you might face in your life. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with talking to your friends that are your same age. Listen, you can, they can hear you vent. They can hear all types of information, and they might even be able to help you. But it would be wise to speak to some people who know a little bit more about your situation and have maybe experienced some things that you haven't. Verse number four says that while they drank from them, they praised their idols made of gold, silver, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. Now, we're not talking about with Belshazzar just giving information to people that can't help you. Belshazzar goes another step further. He praised the idols of gold, silver, wood, and stone. And then suddenly, somebody say suddenly, verse 5, they saw the fingers of a human hand writing on the plaster wall of the king's palace near the lampstand. What happened to Belshazzar? His knees began to knock and his legs gave way beneath him. Translation, he fainted. I don't know what you would do if you saw somebody writing writing words on the wall after you've been drinking too much wine. Maybe you would faint too. But he fainted. And and, and, and remember, there are things that, that only belong to certain people. Everything ain't made for everybody. Number one is praise. Praise is not meant for everybody. Praise belongs to God. We just got finished singing it. Every praise is to our God. Every word of worship in one accord. Every praise is to our God. Why praise? Because when you praise, you give to God while you're living the thing he takes back from you when you're dead. Hmm. The very breath of your praise. The Bible says that God inhabits the praises of his people. God gets on your praise, gets on the breath that you sing to him, and like a wave rides it to defeat your enemies. Every praise is to our God because God inhabits the praises of his people. The Psalms actually say that if you do not praise God, the very rocks would cry out. God will take something that has no life and breath and give it breath in order to get praise. And so we only ought to give our praise to God. Uh, the, the word interesting here, Belshazzar just doesn't praise God. He just don't give a little patty cake. He ain't just give God no little, his gods, I should say, a little patty cake. The text says uh, in, in, in Psalms, clap your hands, O ye people, and then shout. The word Shabbat there, shout unto God with the voice of triumph. That is the same word that Belshazzar used in praising his gods. 
So it's a loud party. It's this, 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 this ain't a quiet uh, party. They, they celebrating and shouting and all types of things, and they're shouting to their gods in praise who, who can do nothing to help them. In comes Daniel in this text to give him an interpretation of what the dream means. And listen to what Daniel says to him in verse number 23 of chapter 5. You have proudly defied the Lord of heaven and have had these cups from his temple brought before you. You and your nobles and your wives and your concubines have been drinking wine from them while praising gods of silver, gold, irons, bronze, wood, and stone. Gods, watch this, that neither see nor hear nor know anything at all. But you have not honored the God who gives you breath of life and controls your very destiny. Some things ain't meant for everybody. Don't give things the, the things that don't he see, that don't hear, or know anything at all that can't help you and provide an answer to your situation. You need to give your praise to God because it's God who can respond. Listen, God knows what you're going through. He knows the situations that you're facing in life. He knows the trouble that you're in. He knows the pains and the emotions that you feel and the worries and concerns that you have about whatever it is you're experiencing in life. And he doesn't want you to hold that into yourself. He don't want you just running off to your friends, telling them all about your worries and your pains. God wants you to bring your complaints to him. He wants you to bring your worries, your concerns, your cares to him. But watch this. When you bring it to him, you can bring it to him in praise and adoration because you have a God that not only hears but will answer. Praises only belong to a certain people. The NIV said that it was the God who holds in his hands his life and all his ways. It's interesting that the next thing he saw was a hand writing on the wall. Belshazzar might have had one cup too many. But that, those, those are the patterns of pride that ultimately lead to the progression of pride. The progression of pride. We see the text that is written on the wall. Mene, Mene, Tekel, and Parson. This is what the interpretation gives in 26 through 28. It says, Mene means numbered. God has numbered the days of your reign and brought it to an end. The patterns of pride lead to a progression that your days will be numbered. And God help us when his mercy finally runs out. God help us when his mercy finally runs out. The days were numbered for him so much so that following the party, they crashed through the walls and he died in his spot. His days were numbered. Tekel means weighed. You have been weighed on the balances and have not measured up. You have been weighed on the balances and have not measured up. Listen, failure to praise God for mercy forces you to accountability to the law. And I talked to you last week that the law is not meant to save us. If, if we're going to be accountable to ourselves that we think it's ourselves who have gotten us where we belong, it's ourselves that's gotten us to what we need to have, then you're accountable to yourself to save you. And guess what? You never measure up. <laughs> you never measure up. Listen, I, I don't even have to convince you of that. You believe that without me even telling you. Most of the thoughts that we have in our mind are about not living up. 
Most of the worries and the concerns that we have in life are about not measuring up or being all that we potentially could be. I don't have to convince you that you don't measure up. Your whole life tells you in your mind that you don't measure up. God is just simply saying that praise me even though you don't measure up because guess what? I can fill in the space. <laughs> I can fill in the space. You don't need to measure up. You don't need to wait till you're perfect to come to church to get right before the Lord and all that stuff. You just need to show up and praise him. Listen, show up and praise him. It's not my preaching that's going to save you. It's not our, my, my love that's going to save you. It's the love that comes from the God you're praising. You don't measure up. You don't measure up. The third one is your Perez, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. As I said, his kingdom was divided. God realizes that, yeah, you co-region in this thing. You leading this with somebody else, and you got half, and he got the other half. He out speaking to the Persians. You here acting like the Medes don't exist. So guess what? The Medes going to get your half. The Persians going to get Nabonidus' half. The kingdom is divided. And, and listen, when your kingdom is the one you stand on, the, you're on shaky ground. You're on shaky ground when your kingdom is the one that stands on. You need a kingdom that does not, that does not fail. You need a kingdom that stands forever, that goes beyond your present life and into eternity and exists forevermore. I'm almost done. Last week or a couple weeks ago, uh, we talked about the relational God. Last week, I talked about the relational God. In, 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 in Bob's text in Jeremiah, we saw those words, the Lord God, which was the relational God. In my text last week, we talked about the relational God. Uh, th that is the God who's there. Uh, in, in this text, in this text, we're talking about El Elyon, who is the most high God. Why, why is he the most high God? Why is he the most high God? Is he the most high God because on a scale of other gods, he's the one that sits on top of them? No, no, no. God, God's too big to be measured against anything else. He, he's not the most high God because other gods are just equally lower or beneath him. Daniel said that these gods don't see, hear, or understand anything at all. In other words, they actually don't even exist. They're figments of imagination, figments of our own understanding. They're figments of our own pride to find something that suits us, that serves our purposes. You ever notice that, that every God uh, in the scriptures that God is opposing is a God that's specifically designed to help somebody achieve their own goals? They're specifically designed to help them achieve their own goals. If I'm a farmer, I need a God of rain. Okay, come on, God of rain. Come on down here. Water my crops so I can get abundance. If, 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 if I'm into wild living, I, I, I need a God uh, that, that can get me babies and get me more and more, that can allow me to have more and more illicit opportunities. All of these gods were gods that were of their own ideas, own imagination, but God is the most high God is because he sits outside of our imagination. He sits outside of our imagination. God doesn't even sit in time. He sits outside of time. And so there is no time that he should not be praised. There is no time that we ought not give him worship. Now, now most of us, we don't always like that. We don't like the fact that God is sovereign over all. 
But listen, sovereign over all, Lord of all, in control of all, uh, he is all controlling, does not mean that he is, that he controls all things. I got to clarify that, that the sovereign God who's all controlling does not mean he controls all things. You can't blame God for your mess. You can't blame God for the mistakes that you get into. You can't blame God for every calamity that happens in your life. God's not at fault for every calamity that happens in your life. He's all controlling, but he doesn't control all things. We live in a world of fallen humanity, and there is a responsibility on ours that we have to play a part in. Sovereignty, when, that's, when God's sovereignty, and I'm almost done, praise team, you can come. When our sovereignty collides with our responsibility, we need to understand that he has the power and is able to veto or audible the events of history. This is what he does with Belshazzar. And because he's sovereign, because he's sovereign, it means that he, we don't, he doesn't owe us any explanation as to why he does what he does. One, one of the songwriters said that my God will do what he wants to whenever he wants to. He's God. What he wants to, whenever he wants to, he's God. And we don't like these doctrines of grace to deal with God's sovereignty all the time because guess what? It takes us out of control. But guess what? That's the point. That's the point. You have less control than you actually believe. You don't got no control anyway. We don't have any control. We are people without control. We are at the whims and mercy of the next circumstance that touches our life. But guess what? We have a God that sits outside our circumstances. <laughs> Come on, that's the place to praise him. We have a God that sits outside our circumstances. And this God, is not only sovereign and in control, but guess what? You can be okay. You can, you can rest your pretty little heart because this God is good. He's holy. He's sovereign and he's holy. That means whatever he does is just. Whatever he does is right. He is holy and he's good. And so we can trust ourselves to this God who sits high, who looks slow, despite our trouble, despite our situation, despite the fact that I'm exiled in a land, the people that don't know you, that don't love you, that don't serve you, that don't worship you, that don't praise you. It doesn't matter what situation I'm in. Any situation I'm in, God's in it with me. And he's good. He's good. I just want to encourage you today that not to drink, number one, from the cup of pride. Because as soon as you take it, it's one cup too many. And when we drink of the cup of pride, we deny the Lord who made us. He made you. He made you. He created you. He set you on purpose. There's something God wants to do specific in your life. Every single one of you have a purpose that God wants to use. I don't care if you're not doing it right now. Just keep praising him. I don't care if you're not in it right now. Just keep trusting him. I don't care if you don't even know what it is right now. Just keep loving him. And God will lead you to accomplish your ultimate purpose. And here's the sign as I, as I walk off here. It may not look 
like you intended. It may not look like you intended, but guess what? Your life will still give him glory. <laughs> Hallelujah. Your life can still give him glory, even when it don't look like it intended. That's the God we serve. Go with me to the Lord in prayer. Father, in the name of Jesus, thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you, God. Thank you, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you, God. Thank you, thank you. Thank you. I praise you. I lift you up. I magnify you. I tell you that you're good. We celebrate you in this praise, God, because you are more than we can imagine. You can do anything but fail. You are God in the midst of our trouble who's still with us, and we praise you. We praise you. And I just ask, Father God, that the Holy Spirit, as these words have come from you, I pray that you would let them rest on the hearts of your people, that you would deal with us, that you would deal with us in the areas of our heart where we have pride, that you are trying to uproot, and that you would allow us to submit ourselves to you. But I also pray, Father God, for those who are going through a challenge, those who are in the midst of a trouble, and I ask, Father God, that you would help them to see that you are the God who is able. <laughs> Even in the fire, you're able. Even in our exile, you're able. Even in our oppression, you are able. You are able. And I pray that you would let us fill our hearts with that type of mentality as we serve you. In Jesus' name, amen.